Man, that was a treat for me um, to actually be on that side of uh, the stage and get to sing with y'all. And um, I tell you that uh, every week I have the best seat in the house when I'm up here and I hear you guys singing uh, towards me. But um, it's also pretty nice to be down there with you guys and, and just to, uh, to be able to participate like that. And I, I'm feeling really good, so I'm stoked about this stuff. Um, so let's check this out. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn into uh, to 2 Timothy 3. Uh, verses 12 through 15. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the, the passage that we're going to be looking at, it's printed uh, in your bulletin, and I'm also going to pull it up here. Um, so you've got a place in your bulletin where you can take notes. So listen up, this is God's Word. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. This is God's word. Um, so I'm not a huge football fan, but there is this one part of the game that, uh, that I find really fascinating. And it's that moment um, after the snap when the quarterback has the ball and he fades back in the pocket and he starts looking for an open receiver. And, uh, and while this is happening, there's several like 350 pound defensive linemen like rushing at him, basically like, like uh, rabid rhinos. And, um, and the quarterback's job is to maintain a laser-like focus in the face of what we could call a certain impending persecution. All right? And, um, so in order to find an open receiver and to deliver that ball, the quarterback knows that he's most likely going to take it on the chin, and yet he maintains that focus, all right? And the reason that I'm sharing this is because in this passage, Paul is essentially telling us every single Christian at some point, without a doubt, is going to be called on to play quarterback, okay? Every single Christian, without a doubt, at some point is going to be called upon to maintain that kind of focus under that kind of pressure in order to do what they're called to do. So if you look at verse 12, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Okay? Christians will be persecuted. This is a non-negotiable fact about being a Christian. Um, What Paul has to say in this passage is vitally relevant to you you if you call yourself a follower of Christ. Um, His language in verse 12 is really so strong and it's so in line with the rest of what the Bible teaches about persecution that you really need to understand this. That those who choose to be exempt from persecution are really choosing, um, choosing to renounce Christ. So if you choose to be exempt from persecution, you're choosing to renounce Christ. All right, so I just thought I'd start off with some bad news. All right, so so let's pray. No. All right, so... No, the, in, the entire passage that we're going to look at today, it's in the context of certain impending persecution, okay? So in a sense, every Christian here today has their very own 350-pound defensive lineman who's coming at them from across the line of scrimmage, okay? So that's the bad news. Now, I think when we, when we hear the word persecution, um, there's a couple images that tend to pop into our mind. Um, one, we think of, uh, of Christians either being tortured or even killed for their faith, uh, like some of the really terrible stories we hear coming out of Syria and Iraq 
recently. Um, or on the other hand, we, we tend to think of certain political views that uh, kind of define any public re resistance to Christianity as, uh, as persecution, right? And, uh, and I think, you know, those are aspects of persecution, but I don't think that they're particularly helpful for us today. Uh, and here's why. It's because um, although, um, although we care about them, they don't touch us like in the same personal way that like a 350-pound lineman like personally touches a quarterback, right? That's um, like we care, we know and we care that there's Christians uh, who are facing uh, physical violence for their faith. But that's not something that most of us here uh, have ever faced. And it's probably not something that most of us here will ever face. And there's stuff that goes on in this country, you know, politically and, and socially um, that we might not agree with. But really, like, our personal freedoms, uh, for the most part, are not being seriously threatened. And they might never be. All right? So in order to understand what Paul is saying in this passage, um, we need a definition of persecution that really, like, brings it home for every single Christian, no matter where they're at. Um, because, Paul says, every Christian will be persecuted. All right? And I think uh, Pastor Stephen really hit, it on, uh, hit the nail on the head last week when he gave us this definition. He said, persecution is pressure to turn down the volume on Jesus. It's pressure to turn down the volume on Jesus. Now, now I personally know some Christians who, who I wish, you know, would turn down the volume on Jesus. Um, you know, there's some Christians that just, they, they have that volume turned up like so loud. It's like turned up to 11, like all the time. And it's just obnoxious. Um, and honestly, I don't think that most of us are called to do that. Um, but every single one of us, if we're, if we're a Christian, we are called to keep the, the Jesus volume um, at a clear and an audible level. And the fact is that that clear and that audible level, it's going to rub some people the wrong way, and they're going to pressure you to turn the volume down. Um, so that's a definition that I can relate to, turning the volume down on Jesus. Uh, I think it's a you know, a definition that y'all can relate to. And, and honestly, I think it's a definition that Christians who face physical violence, like they can relate to that. They're being pressured to turn down the volume on Jesus. And I, I think this definition is helpful because it enables us to recognize that persecution comes in different forms, um, from the threat of, of physical violence to, to political action, even to just um, simple and even subtle social pressure. Every single Christian, without a doubt, at some point, will face the pressure to turn down the volume on Jesus. All right? So again, that's the bad news. But the good news is that Paul is our coach. All right? Paul is our coach. And lucky for us, Paul, he's a bit of an expert on persecution. And uh, he has a game plan, and he shares it with us in this passage and, and this is why this is vital for us to hear today. This quote really kind of captures it. In crucial moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is already over. Okay? Isn't that true? In crucial moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is, is already over. See, the quarterback that we talked about, he doesn't just happen to have the ability to stay focused under pressure. He puts hours of sweat and effort into preparing for a moment that he knows is coming. And when his crucial moment comes and those linemen are charging down on him, most of the work is already either done or it's not done. All right? He's either prepared or he's not prepared. And in the same way, um, persecution is going to come to, to each of us. 
and, uh, and whether or not we are prepared to face it, that's a choice that we make today. That's a choice that we make now. And another way to put it is, if we wait, it's too late. If we wait, it's too late. We need to start preparing today. So, um, so persecution is coming. It's coming for certain. And in this passage, Paul says, I have three pieces of advice for you. If you do these three things, you're going to be prepared for persecution. If you don't do them, you're going to get creamed. Um, and so Paul's three pieces of advice, they're the three, they're the three main points in your outline. Uh, so you can take a look, and here they are. He tells us to remember your testimony, rely on discipleship community, and run to God's word. Okay, if we do these three things, we'll be prepared for persecution. All right, so let's, let's dive in and take a look. So first, to be prepared for persecution, you need to remember your testimony. Okay, so verse 14, it says, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed. So right here, Paul is pointing to Timothy's own experience with God, right? It's what he's already learned. It's what he's already firmly believed. Um, he's talking about Timothy's personal testimony. Essentially, he's talking about Timothy's personal testimony. And he says, Timothy, in the face of certain impending persecution, remember your testimony. And Timothy's like, what? what? Like, what's the big deal about, Tim- uh, about a testimony? Um, why do I need to remember a testimony uh, in order to be prepared for, for this persecution that's coming? Um, well, first of all, to answer that, I need to tell you what a personal testimony is. Um, this is how I'm going to define it. Okay, personal testimony is, is my experience of the difference that Jesus makes in my life. Okay, it's my experience of the difference that Jesus makes in my life. Another way to put it is, I was like this, and then Jesus showed up, and now I'm like this. Okay, that's a testimony. So, for example, um, here's two from my life. Um, I used to be really angry. I used to be a really angry person. And then Jesus showed up. And now I'm not as angry. All right? There it is. Another one. Um, Before uh, some of you that know me are like, man, I wish Jesus would give you more of a testimony. (laughs) I've heard you drop those words. Um, All right, well, here's another one. Uh, Before before I experienced the love of Jesus, like before I really experienced the love of Jesus, I really struggled with depression and despair. And I still struggle with depression and despair. But now I have real hope. I mean, I have real hope. That's a true story, y'all. That's a testimony. Um, I think that personal testimony makes Paul's top three list uh, because your testimony really is at the heart of your relationship with God. Your testimony is really at the heart of your relationship with God. I mean, you can have intellectual head knowledge about God, and a lot of people do, but if you don't have a personal experience with God, you just don't have a relationship with Him. Okay? Your personal testimony, it's, it's at the heart of your relationship with God. And I see two reasons why. There's two aspects that I want to explore about testimony. And the first is this. Present trust is based on past experience. All right? Present trust is just based on past experience. This is a basic truth of any relationship. Okay? So, so imagine you've got a really good friend, a best friend, 
somebody you've known for years who has, you know, stuck by you through thick and thin, you know, like even those, like, those awkward tween years, like with the acne and the, you know, they stuck by you and they proved their, their, um, they proved their trustworthiness, like over and over and over again. And one day this person shows up and they ask you to borrow, they ask if they can borrow $1,000. And assuming that you have $1,000 to loan, why in the world would you, would you trust your money to this person? It's because present trust is based on past experience, right? I mean, your past experience with your friend, it, it enables you to trust this person. And y'all, it's the same with our relationship with God. All right, our, our present trust in God, it's based on our past experience with God. So when I remember that God was with me yesterday, it fills me with assurance that he'll be with me today and tomorrow. Um, I mean, I mean, this is why we made our communion table like this. You guys know the story behind this? All right, this is, this is where we commune with Jesus, and the table is supported by these glass pillars. You see that? And the pillars are filled with rocks, and on each rock is written a personal testimony of someone in this congregation. Um, and if you don't have a rock in here, you need to come to us and get a rock and, and write your testimony. Here's the, here's the reason why. Because the people who put their testimony in there when they come in each week, they look at this table and they remember their testimony. And it fills them with assurance. They say, oh my gosh, God was with me then. He's with me today. I mean, that's awesome. That assurance, um, man, it's nice to have any day of the week, but it is absolutely essential when you face persecution. All right? When you face persecution... That kind of assurance is the difference between hope and despair. All right, that's a big deal. In contrast, when you forget, when you forget your testimony, it cuts you off from that assurance. It's like you don't have a rock in here. Okay, you're cut off from that assurance. And then when you face persecution, you don't know if, I mean, like this is my experience. When I face persecution and I've forgotten my testimony, like I don't know if God's with me. You know, I don't know if I'm alone in this or if, I, you know, if, if he even cares. And I'm filled with, with fear. I'm filled with doubt. It's bad news. So you see, your personal testimony is foundational to your trust in God because present trust is based on past experience. Okay, that's one aspect. There's a, sep- a second important reason why your testimony is at the heart of your relationship with God. See, not only is your testimony about your trust in God but it's also about what God has entrusted to you, all right? God entrusts you with a testimony. God entrusts you with a testimony. Where am I getting this? That phrase in verse 14, firmly believed, if you want to take a look at that, it can also mean been entrusted with. So you can translate this verse like this. Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have been entrusted with. Continue in what you've learned and have been entrusted with. See, God has entrusted you with a testimony. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, the stuff that you have learned, the stuff that you have experienced, the things that you've been through, good and bad, that's not random. God has entrusted you with that. He specifically entrusted you with that. He hasn't entrusted anybody else in the same way. It's yours. 
Um, so if you want to be accurate, I mean, it's not actually your testimony at all. It's God's testimony. It's God's testimony. It's your past experience of God's work in and through you is something that he entrusts to you for a purpose. All right, what purpose? Well, I think we know, I think we can firmly establish that when God entrusts us with something, he wants us to bury it in the ground and keep it safe. Right? Just bury it in the ground. Right? No! In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable of the talents. Right? And in this parable, there's a master, and he gives one of his servants a sum of money, and then he goes away on a trip. And the servant buries the money in the ground. Okay? And then the master comes back from his trip, and, uh, and the servant digs up the money, and he gives it back to the master. Right? And that's the end of the story, and everybody lives happily ever after. No, the master calls that servant wicked and worthless. Why, why is the servant wicked and worthless? Is it because he wasted the money? No, he, he gave the money back. He's wicked and worthless because he wasted the opportunity to invest what had been entrusted to him. You see that? In the same way, when Paul says, continue in what you have learned and been entrusted with, it carries this idea of stewardship. Um, God has entrusted you with a testimony and a mission to invest it. He's given you a mission to invest your testimony. So you you remember the testimony that I shared earlier. Um, Experiencing the love of Jesus, it's, it's given me real hope in the midst of persecution. Okay, and it's, it's in the midst, excuse me, in the midst of depression, which is a, a kind of persecution, I guess. Um, Jesus has given me real hope in the midst of my depression. That's, this is not a past tense thing. This is something that I, that I continue to struggle with. And, and personally, I would rather not have this testimony. I mean, honestly, um, I would rather have one, you know, that testimony where I'm like, I used to struggle with depression, or I never struggled with depression. Praise Jesus, you know, like, but... Um, but this, I mean, this is the testimony that God has entrusted, with me, uh, entrusted to me. And this is the testimony that God has given me a mission to invest. All right? Um, and let me tell you, there have been so many times when um, I have found myself in a situation where um, the stuff I have experienced has uniquely equipped me um, to bless others. All right? God has used my experiences to to comfort others, to create space where others feel um, understood and they feel safe enough to share uh, their own experiences. God has used me um, to speak hope into people's lives. Okay, and that's not me. That's God working through me. All right, so this is not a testimony that I particularly enjoy having. Um, Man, but God is good. God is good. And he's given me a a mission to help advance his kingdom. And that's awesome. So not only is a a personal testimony about your trust in God, it's about what God, uh, it's about the mission that God has entrusted to you. All right, so we're talking about your trust in God, God's trust in you. I mean, what could be closer to the heart of your relationship with God? personal testimony. I mean, that's why it makes this top three list. It's a a really big deal. 
So remember that Paul, he gives us this top three list in the, in the context of certain impending persecution. All right, so for Paul, remembering your testimony is essential for being prepared for persecution. And here's why, um, in a nutshell. So if you want to write something down, there's blanks underneath the first, uh, underneath the first point in your bulletin. Remember your testimony because it assures you that God is with you in your mission, even in persecution. Remember your testimony because it assures you that God is with you in your mission, even in the persecution. Y'all, this is a big deal. All right, because when you face persecution, but you are assured that God is with you, and you're assured that you're on mission with Him, I mean, it gives you great confidence. It gives you great peace. Um, no matter what the circumstances, really. In contrast, um, successful persecution, it's always going to separate you from your testimony. It's always going to separate you from your testimony. And it doesn't really matter if the pressure of persecution um, sort of causes you to flat out like deny your testimony or if it just kind of causes you to sort of gradually turn the volume down until it essentially disappears. Like it doesn't really matter. Once you are separated from your testimony, you're going to face less persecution and that'll feel nice. But like the passage says, um, that's a sign, it's a warning sign that you have left the godly path and now you're in danger of going from bad to worse. That's a big deal. Um, If you neglect your testimony, you're going to get less and less sure that God is with you and less and less effective in your mission. Okay, so persecution is coming. You need to remember your testimony. All right, second point on your outline. To be prepared for persecution, you need to rely on discipleship community. Okay, you guys with me? Just checking. Everybody with me? All right. Second point, we're going to go quick. Rely on discipleship community. So where am I seeing this? Look at verse 14. Knowing from whom you learned it. Okay, so a couple things about this phrase. First, that word whom, it's plural. Okay, so if you have the ESV translation, there's a little text note that tells you this word is plural. And if you have the NIV, they were like, well, since it's plural, we'll actually render it plural. And so they they translate it. Continue knowing those from whom you learned it. All right, so this is a group of people, and it probably includes Eunice and Lois, Timothy's mom and grandma, that, t- uh, that Paul refers to in uh, chapter 1. It certainly includes Paul himself, and there might be others, but the point is um, that this is a community of people in Timothy's life. Okay? Secondly, look at the phrase, you learned. It says, continue knowing those from whom you learned. All right, so these are people who have discipled Timothy. He's learned from them. Okay, so in this section of verse 14, Paul is referring to a community of people who have discipled Timothy. It's a discipleship community. All right, that's what I see here. Paul is talking about a discipleship community. And what does he say? What's his advice concerning this discipleship community? He says, know these people. And in fact, he says, continue knowing these people. Because the context here, it implies this, this ongoing, continuing knowledge. So this continuing knowledge, that verb knowing, it means to turn the eyes and the mind towards, to observe and to experience, uh, to pay close attention to, to cherish. All right, so it has this uh, intimacy, this familiarity, this, this con- uh, it connotes value. 
All right? So Paul says, continue knowing your discipleship community. All right? Continue being in intimate fellowship with them. Continue paying close attention to them. Continue cherishing their ways. Continue observing the fruit in their life. And continue learning them from them so that you can get the same fruit. All right? That's what Paul's saying. And again, in the face of certain impending persecution, this makes Paul's top three list. All right? So in Paul's mind, um, a discipleship community is essential for preparing for persecution. And again, like why? What's the big deal? Um, well, here it is in a nutshell. All right? You can write this down in your, in your bulletin. You need to rely on discipleship community so that you can face persecution like them and with them. Okay, first, we need a discipleship community so that we can face persecution like them. See, your, your discipleship community, they're the people who show you what it looks like to, uh, to persevere in the midst of persecution. They put uh, flesh and blood on this idea of perseverance. In a word, they train you for battle. Right? They train you for battle. And we see that Paul has done this with Timothy in, in the preceding verses to our passage. Um, he says, You, Timothy, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. See, with his own life, Paul has shown Timothy what it looks like to persevere. Okay? He's trained him. And then furthermore, a discipleship community, they're the people who have been through persecution themselves. And they can testify to God's faithfulness. Okay, and again, we see that this is exactly what Paul has done for Timothy in the preceding verses. He says, yet from all these persecutions, the Lord, the Lord rescued me, Timothy. You see, Paul is pointing Timothy back to the Lord's faithfulness. All right, so in all of this, Paul is training Timothy for the coming persecution. That's what Timothy needed. And that's what we need. All right? We need to rely on a discipleship community so we can face persecution like them. But we also need to rely on a discipleship community so we can face persecution with them. Okay? Persecution, um, it's not something that you should, uh, that you should try to face on your own. There's no, like, Lone Ranger Christianity going on here. Like, this is a community effort. Um, when persecution comes, uh, your discipleship community are the people who go into battle with you, all right? They're the people who stand shoulder to shoulder with you. They're the people who have your back. Um, they are the people who, uh, who know your testimony, so when you forget it, they remind you. And when you go stumbling off the godly path, they're the ones that come after you and, you know, knock you down and drag you back. That's what Timothy needed. That's what we need. We need to rely on a discipleship community so we can face persecution with them. Okay, so here's the net. The idea here is that these are the people who train you for battle and then fight alongside you. Okay, we need those kind of people in our lives. This is a big deal. All right, when you face persecution, but you know that you've been trained and you know that you're not alone, man, that fills you with strength. And that strength is the difference between hope and despair. In contrast, successful persecution is always going to separate you from a discipleship community. 
Okay? And it doesn't matter if the pressure of persecution makes you flat out deny that you need to be trained or if the pressure of persecution just kind of makes you subtly avoid the kind of relationships where discipleship can happen. It doesn't matter. Like once you're separated from a discipleship community, um, you're going to face less persecution. And that feels nice, but really it's a, it's a warning sign that you're off the godly path and, uh, and you're in danger of going from bad to worse. If you neglect your need for discipleship community, you're going to get more and more isolated and more and more vulnerable to attack. Okay? So persecution is coming. You need to rely on a discipleship community. All right, the the, the final piece of advice that Paul has for us is this. To be prepared for persecution, you need to run to God's word. You need to run to God's word. In verse 15, Paul says, Continue being acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In this context, the sacred writings are are the Old Testament, because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. But Paul is talking about, about God's word, obviously. And so again, in the face of certain impending persecution, um, this makes Paul's top three list. Right? So Paul says... Knowing God's word is essential for being prepared for persecution. Again, why? What's the big deal? Well, here it is. In a nutshell, you need to run to God's word because it reveals the road to rescue. God's word reveals the road to rescue. Verse 15 tells us two things about God's word. First, God's word is able to make you wise for salvation. And I love this phrase because, um, because it shows that, that wisdom has a purpose. It's a means to an end. True wisdom always prepares you for salvation. And so this, this gives me uh, the image of a plow. So like a plow, like digging into hard ground and breaking up the soil and, and turning it over and making it soft. Not for the purpose of just churning up the dirt. It's for the purpose of preparing the soil to receive a seed that can take root and grow. So God's word does the same thing to us. It does the th- same thing to our heart, right? I mean, it, it like digs into us. It breaks up the hard parts. It turns us upside down. It softens us up. And it gets us ready to receive salvation. And um, Psalm 119, it, it gives us a, a, another image of the same idea. Verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. All right, see, the God's word, it, it shines a light on our path, right? It shines a light on the path so that we can see which way to go. It's a lamp for our feet so that we can follow the path on the road to rescue. Okay, so even in the midst of great darkness, God's word makes you wise for salvation. And the second thing that verse 15 tells us about God's word is that it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus Christ. So this is awesome. Like here we have Paul's summary of what scripture is all about. Okay, verse 15, Paul says, the purpose of the Bible is to lead you to Jesus. The purpose of the Bible is to lead you to Jesus. So here you have your proof text that the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, but the Old Testament too, 
is all the story of salvation through Jesus. Or as my son's uh, Jesus Storybook Bible puts it, you guys know the Jesus Storybook Bible, with parents out there? It puts it like this. Every story whispers his name. Every story whispers his name. Just having that lens to look at scripture through, that every story whispers the name of Jesus, man, it just, it makes scripture bloom. It makes scripture open up. Um, And that's what Paul is saying. It's all the story of salvation through Jesus. So in the midst of persecution, we run to God's word because in it we find revealed the road to our rescue. And friends, here's the thing. Um, As we follow that road, maybe for the first time, maybe for the hundredth time, I mean, we're always a little shocked that the road sort of takes this turn and it takes us outside the city, outside the city walls, and it takes us up to this desolate hill where we see Jesus, who is our only rescue, hanging on a cross, and he's facing the greatest persecution ever. It's the persecution of God's wrath against our sin. And Jesus, um, he took the full weight of that persecution so that we wouldn't have to. So that we wouldn't have to. And it reminds me of these lyrics, you know, that we sing here a lot. And on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. I've sung that song probably a hundred times, and it never gets old. But here's the thing, the road to rescue, it doesn't end at the cross. It continues on, and we follow it to a a nearby garden just three days later where Jesus rises from the dead. Y'all, that is a big deal. That is a big deal. Because in his victory over death, we find the hope that we need to face whatever persecution he might call us to endure. Okay? The Lord Jesus never calls us to go anywhere that he hasn't gone first. You hear that? He never calls you to go anywhere that he hasn't gone first. He faced the utmost persecution and he proved by his resurrection that even death itself, that greatest weapon that persecution can wield, is no match. No match for him and no match for anybody that belongs to him. So run to God's word because it reveals the path back to Jesus, your only rescue. So I just have one uh, application point today. I got an assignment for you. All right, if you are a Christian, this week I want you to find another Christian and share two things with them. Share your testimony and share a passage of scripture that has strengthened you in some way, okay? It's a simple thing that we can do this week uh, that will help prepare us for persecution, all right? Because if you do this, you'll be remembering your testimony And you'll be running to God's word. You'll be remembering your testimony maybe for the first time. And you'll be be recognizing how God's word has strengthened you in that. And you'll be doing it with somebody else who's on the path as well. Somebody who can um, have your back, who who can help you face persecution. All right, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I also have an assignment for you, okay? You're welcome here, but I do have an assignment for you. All right, what I want you to do is I want you to find a Christian and ask them to share these two things with you, okay? And then I want you to listen to their testimony, 
And I want you to listen to the impact God's word has made on them. Okay? If you're just checking things out, this is a great way just to peek into the heart of Christianity. It's a great way for you to find out what's going on here. All right? And if you don't know any Christians at, at, at Harbor Church, you can join a life group. Okay? We've got them listed in the bulletin. And they're a great place for Christians and non-Christians to connect, to become friends, and to grow together. Okay, so you can join a life group or you can find an elder. Uh, we've got like five or six of them like scattered around. And they're all like, they're all like really wonderful, wonderful guys, um, wonderful men, great resources at this church. All right, or um, if you're a gambler, you can stick around after the church. Uh, after the church service, you get some re- refreshments and just corner somebody. You know, just throw the dice and and meet somebody new and ask them these questions. All right. Y'all, what if we did this? What if we what if we really did this? What if our lives filled up with testimonies about God's work? And what if instead of burying those testimonies, we invested them in each other? in our families, in our neighbors, in our coworkers? What if we helped train each other for battle and then we stood shoulder to shoulder when the pressure comes? What if we took every opportunity to run to God's word so that it would make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, our rescuer? That would be a big deal. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your word. It is able to make us wise through salvation, through faith in you. Thank you that every story whispers your name. Your word points us back to your work for us, accomplished through your death and your resurrection, and it fills us with hope even in the midst of persecution. Thank you for putting us in community with other believers who help us grow and who stand by us when we face persecution. Jesus, thank you for the testimonies that you have given us. Some of them are represented here on our communion table. The work that you have done in and through us, when we remember that you were with us yesterday, we're assured that you are with us today and into tomorrow. And when we see that you have entrusted us with a mission to invest our testimonies, it fills us with confidence and purpose, no matter where you lead us, even into persecution. Jesus, you have told us plainly that we are going to face persecution. By your spirit now, will you enable us to take your word to heart and to prepare for persecution so that when it comes, when it comes, Lord, we can honor you and so that we can display your beauty to our city. Amen.